pianist Ted Rosenthal won the second annual Thelonious Monk International Jazz Piano Competition and is a faculty member at the Juilliard School and Manhattan School of Music. One might expect him to be the serious scholarly sort, and he is. The surprise is Ted's great sense of humor and his unique approach in combining classical and jazz, enhancing both forms in the process. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Ted took a somewhat unusual path to being a professional pianist. No, it wasn't uh, a straight line at all, and uh, I was clearly very interested in music, let's say just music, not necessarily piano, not necessarily jazz, not necessarily classical, but I was clearly taken and uh, fascinated by music at a young age, and the woman that uh, I took some <laughs> Dalcro's classes with at probably the tender age of four or five uh, recognized that I had some talent and interest, and she was also a piano teacher, and she was also Bella Abzug's sister. And she had kind of a similar uh, strong personality, shall we say. And so when I started studying piano with her, very quickly I was a bit turned off because I was capable of playing by ear and I heard melodies, whether they were the Beatles or things of the time in the in the kind of mid to late 60s. Uh, and she was pointing to that page saying, play what's on the page. And I just was not as facile a reader at, at age six. I'm, should I be ashamed to say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ted, and, it all comes out here. People yeah, admit these things on right, this show. Exactly. So very quickly, we just, I think, both decided that we weren't for each other. <laughs> and after a few months, I quit. But I didn't lose my interest at all in music. So I took up the guitar and started pursuing rock guitar. And in fourth grade, when it was time to choose a band instrument, I took up the trumpet and was immediately ascending my way to uh, my first or principal, they wouldn't call it principal trumpet in the junior <laughs> high school, but I was first trumpet all You're the way so through. You're so lofty. <laughs> all the way through uh, elementary, junior, and high school, I was pretty much first trumpet. But when I was 12, I did get back to the piano. It was kind of a very strange set of events that I've retold. And the more I retell it, frankly, it sounds stranger. <laughs> it gets stranger uh, the more I retell it. And namely that a uh, very good jazz pianist, one of these somewhat uh, probably typical of the times, a guy who was in the studios playing jazz, playing all kinds of music for radio, TV, recordings. Uh, his name was Tony Aless. And as the jazz business and the recording business started to dry up, he got more and more into teaching. And he and his uh, pal Sanford Gold had a studio in New York City. And the more people I talked to through the years, the more people I realized uh, through one set of circumstances or another studied with either Sanford or Tony. And Tony opened up a studio in my hometown of Great Neck, Long Island. And one evening he had his nephew literally cold call out of the phone book and uh, offer a free lesson because he had this electronic piano studio that he was trying to get students for where six people in theory would line up on these Baldwin electronic pianos. He'd be at the teacher piano and face them all and give group lessons and I guess this was going to be something that economically was uh, going to be good for him. 
So my mother said, I want you to take it. You know, typical mother, you know, now being a, a parent or a step-parent, you know, I could just see it, you know, saying, I want you to do that. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Yes, I want you to do it. And she bribed me by saying that she would come with me and take the lesson with me because she did play a little bit of piano herself at a very amateur kind of level. But uh, while neither of my parents were musicians, they certainly enjoyed it and appreciated it. And we... And went. did they play music around the house? Yeah, they would play it, you know, on the on the record player or whatever, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, or the radio. WQXR was the So they were playing classical music mainly? Largely classical, a little show, maybe even a little Jewish music now mm-hmm. and then, but mm-hmm. not, not a note of jazz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went to the lesson, and sort of toward the end, he said, well, you know, if you work with me, uh, we are going to do some Bach and uh, Beethoven, I kind of started to look away like uh but you know these are some other things i like to do and he i think he played either tenderly or someone to watch over me and i was immediately like taken and hooked and this was on an electric keyboard this was on a baldwin 88 key electric keyboard he did have an upright stashed away in another studio but the standards got you the standards got me like to this day those that kind of harmony and and just the way those progressions work and the beautiful harmonies and all that and i said okay i think i'll do this and you were 12 i was 12 and i studied with him for a few years and then as it and was he a good teacher he was a good teacher but the the catch or so we thought the catch was that as i was approaching an age where i should start thinking about college and potentially music school some other uh people told my mother you know my mother bless her heart had no experience in sort of finding the way for her young headstrong obsessive (laughs) musically obsessive anyway son and so she would call anyone and everyone she called billy taylor to find out what to do with teddy wow (laughs) who was interested in both classical and jazz she certainly wasn't shy no she wasn't shy but she really was was starting from ground zero and to her credit, she made a lot of good decisions or found some people mm-hmm. for me to study with, including Lenny Tristano briefly when I was She 16. found these people? Jackie Byard. Yeah, she found them. She just would call one person to the next, make a little list on a legal pad, and eventually something would hit, and we'd pursue wow. it. Wow, well, she got such hip people. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> yeah, really knowing nothing. Not That's a what I mean. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, and, it I, and I love you saying it because I know I – like so many people, had a teacher I didn't like, and I wound up quitting. Mm-hmm. But I didn't then pursue it, and I didn't. I don't think I was probably as obsessed. I liked music, or I loved music, but I was still looking for what path I was going to take. Yeah. And to have somebody who keeps doing it, I think that's really the key to keep asking questions, find a teacher, do it. That's what I'm getting yeah, from a lot what of you're que- saying. A lot of questions, a lot of thorough uh, homework. <laughs> she was a teacher. And my wife and I actually both refer to ourselves as bushwhackers because we both did something that was not running in the family. She's an accomplished attorney and the first one in her family. So for me, seeking out this pathway in jazz was completely unknown to the rest of the family. So it was a lot of trial and error. And uh, and then when you heard these standards, that got yeah, you going. That really got me going. The harmonies and yeah, just everything about that.
So talk a little bit about what other people taught you, though. I mean, working with Lenny Tristano, working with Jackie Byard, you're saying two really heavy names yeah. in jazz. Well, what by the time guys? I got to Jackie, I was, uh, you know, pretty accomplished by that time. I was 16, so I kind of knew my way around the block a little bit for a 16-year-old, I think so. And so Jackie certainly impressed upon me uh, this amazing sort of history of the jazz piano from stride, Fats Waller, even ragtime, to these very modern and free creative excursions that he would find a way to juxtapose them. And he was so, so much his own person that there wasn't this kind of dichotomy between all the different styles of music. It just flowed out of him. It's so wonderful because that is so unusual yeah. in terms of even someone thinking that way and accepting it. Because as you know, many people that play jazz and are fans of jazz are very narrow yeah. in their focus. Yes. But Jackie was one of a handful of people, to me, to my ears, who convincingly mix it all up. You never know where it's going to go. I yeah. remember the first time yeah. our mutual friend Mike Hashem took me to a Jackie Byard mm. concert and said, this could go either way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it really could. It really could. But somehow what came through was a real rootedness in the tradition. So he sort of could go through, go either way. And I guess his association with Mingus also had you know, a certain creative and compositional uh, breadth of style that you know, it wasn't just going to be a tune played in a typical way. You knew there were going to be other dimensions to it. And, well, I have to tell you here, yeah. I listened to your CD that you did at Maybach Recital Hall in California, and I was especially struck with it on a number of levels, but many of the people that are recording now, I'm going to make myself sound like an old fogey, I can tell that some producers said, okay, now record this so that you show them that you can use some cool harmony. Mm. Now do a stride tune so that you see that you have a left hand. And you had such a beautiful composition throughout giving this concert and this recording. But then to end with you have, you know, you've got to be modernistic (laughs) was a total surprise because I had this on the background as I'm running around the house doing things. Right, right, right. And it was this great... Surprise, what made you do that? It was so much fun. Well, you know, uh, pursuing classical music more into my uh, late high school and then very uh, seriously in college and and grad school, uh, it just had me appreciate the piano in a certain way. I mean, part of the reason I did it was some practical thinking that there were very few jazz programs out there. I wanted some music degrees, so I, I studied classical music to get the degrees. But once I was sort of... In the programs, I really did grow to love it even more, and that combined with keeping up with the Joneses. My friends were classical pianists at that point and uh, entering competitions and concerto competitions. So just to kind of hold my own, I really got into it quite deeply. And there's a certain appreciation for the piano and for the breadth of sound and, you know, you might call it two-fisted playing or two-handed playing that you get from stride that you don't get in every jazz piano style so I was attracted to kind of learning more stride style pieces just to get that almost both physicality and the sound of just full full out piano in a way piano sound and that combined with I actually received uh, way back when a uh, grant from the NEA where my hook was to uh, pursue and perform uh, compositions of quote-unquote lesser-known jazz pianist composers 
Now I thought of myself <laughs> as an even lesser known, way lesser known jazz pianist composer, but I certainly related to that. And I knew sure people, you know, know uh, Oscar Peterson or Bill Evans might even be a better choice as far as being a jazz pianist and composer who's, who's known. But people may not know, for example, Lenny Tristano. They may not know James P. Johnson. They may not know Tad Damron. So I, I selected a whole host of people that the musicians know and love, but the, reg- the rest of the uh, world may not know. And so I actually did both the Maybeck concert and my other Concord CD called Rosenthology kind of on that theme. So you'll notice that there are Lenny Tristano compositions, James P. Johnson compositions, Tad Dameron, etc. So uh, I did have to get the James P. Johnson in there, and I did You've Got to Be Modernistic. And the way I chose that one is I just thought the title was so great, because I thought, as you say, here are these people who, this guy's a modern player, this guy's a traditional player, and here's, you know, this stride guy james p johnson saying you've got to be modernistic i I loved it i thought the sentiment i almost said you know what i don't even care if i don't like this song i'm gonna learn it anyway because i so related to the title and it was perfect to end the cd yeah with that because you've gone from a to z right with everything else you've done and then you end with this stride and it's a good crowd pleaser but also that says that title though which i love and so um that's that's where that came from
When you're learning a piece like that, people always think of jazz musicians learning everything by ear, and mm-hmm. we know that people learn things a variety of ways. Yeah, you know, I might someone will say this tune's good for you, and I'll call one of my pals and say, "Do you know so and so? I've never heard it before," and they'll play it for me over the phone. <laughs> you know, so you can learn them all different ways. Right. But right. how with like this tune, uh, the James P. Johnson tune? How did you learn it? Uh, well. Pretty much as I started to say, where I took the sheet music, I learned that as the basis for just the basic um, kind of head, we call it, the mm-hmm. basic melodies of the two main sections. And then I listened to his recordings and tried to glean the essence of what he was doing in all his variations and mm. all his improvisations, yeah. but didn't want to copy it completely and then thought, well, since it ultimately follows... A chord progression, I could do my own variation. So sometimes I'll even play more variations, Talk depending about, on my stamina. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, he yeah. was known yeah. for anything I've ever read about him. He was known for being so creative and mm. could do theme after theme yeah. after theme yeah. that would sound really composed. Yes, right. But everyone mm-hmm. said that moment. he would just, it would be a composition like Carolina Shout, right. something like that that right. really... Apparently, he could just even expand and expand and expand yeah, on these yeah, things. It's and it's amazing. Yeah. Talk about your approach to classical music and your recordings of taking the classics and improvising with them. Because I'm curious, it's a two-part question. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, as a jazz musician who was then in school and doing these competitions with classical yeah. musicians, things like that, what did you bring to it because you were and are a jazz musician? But at that time, I'm thinking... What? I think I brought a lot of fear of playing the right notes. <laughs> <laughs> but you can make up something if you forgot. That's true. A lot of my friends were very afraid of having memory slips, and I never had memory problems because I could hear the harmonic and the structural underpinnings of the music. So there you go, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, to answer your question a little... Um, uh, in a developing manner. <laughs> I just taught a class uh, this morning at, at Juilliard where I'm teaching classical pianists to play jazz. Ah. So many of these things come into play, and I do feel it's a little it's almost subspecialty of mine that I can kind of speak both languages and say, you know, uh, here's how you want to balance a chord, or here's something that could almost be a Mozart run, or things that may not come up when two jazz players are talking to each mm-hmm, other, typically mm-hmm. about jazz. And so I can kind of speak their language, but then I can speak the jazz language and say, well, you know, you've got a swing, and here's how you can work on swinging, and here's how the articulation you're doing is not correct, and here's what we got to do to make it correct, and all these kinds of things. So uh, I've definitely lived in both worlds uh, less, less and less in classical for many years now, but, you know, I guess the... Uh, the impression it made was was strong. <laughs> so as I was playing any number of pieces, it struck me, well, you know, these are just uh, nice tunes. This is an F minor 7 chord, and here's a nice melody. And lo and behold, many of them were 8, 16, 32-bar tunes. I mean, of course, then there's further compositional development down the road. But when you, you just look at certain Chopin nocturnes or whatever, there it is, a nice 32-bar tune that Chopin wrote. And I thought to myself, how different is this then you know if you're gonna as a jazz pianist think of a nice way to play a nice uh cole porter or harold arlen ballad or something like that it's got similar kind of harmonies and the melodies you can't argue with are are compelling melodies so if you can find a way tastefully Mm. to uh, interwork some 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 harmonies that suit uh 
the jazz harmonies that suit the classical piece and make a structure that's fun to improvise on, then you've got yourself a jazz tune. Right. So it's really not all that fancy. You know, my, my jazz arrangements often just look like a lead sheet. Like you might be looking at just one of those things. No, you're looking at uh, Mozart fantasy in D minor. (laughs) (laughs) I just love you talking about them as a tune, you know, because it's always so and so. No, I do have a little fun on some gigs. I'll say to, you know, I'll say to the people like, well, here's a nice tune from the 30s, the 1830s, (laughs) things like that. So there is a kind of, you know, uh, kind of fun you can have with it, too. But I think in all seriousness... It works. It's been done, you know, with moderate degrees of success over the years. And I think, uh, in fact, there's more potential to be explored. My guest, Ted Rosenthal, with his take on Tchaikovsky's June. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Ted enjoys taking a jazz approach to classical music and looks at each piece as a structure for improvisation and individual expression. Well, I've had experiences where the horn players who might play along with me or other rhythm section players, they stand up straighter and they look a little stiffer. Like, they're, you know, oh, now we're playing classical music. I have to look so dutiful. And, and I said, no, 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 wait a minute. I don't even like the way you're standing. Just relax. Exactly. It's just a tune. And even one of them, uh, I do this bebop version of uh, Tchaikovsky. Uh, there's a theme from the Fifth Symphony. And on the third page of after the melody and, and the chords and all that, I wrote, you know, which we say as jazz players, blowing changes. Right, the right. listeners may not know the chords you, you improvise on, but it's such a slang. You know, so it says on the chart, symphony number five, blowing changes. And I've had some, I've had some comments from people like, wow, where are you ever going to see that on, on a piece of paper? It's true. But, you know, to me it makes perfect sense and not, not in an un, inorganic way. It just, it just flows. As, as a matter of fact, that particular one has many chord sequences that are just like Cole Porter's I Love You's. I love you describing the attitude, too, because you and I both know as concert players mm-hmm. how important that is, just yeah. for our own being relaxed yeah. or whatever it is. But you telling them, it, like a director telling an actor, no, 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 the character is this kind of person, get in that mode. And you telling these guys... I think everybody can benefit from that, and I would think certain classical players, and somebody's going to write in and say I'm out of my mind because what do I know? But I'm thinking sometimes classical music to me, which I adore, will sound too 
sitting up straight. Yeah, too fussy. Too fussy. Mm -hmm. And I would like to go over and massage her shoulders a little (laughs) bit and say, come on, get down with that Rachmaninoff, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that there could be something learned from that or gained from that. It's starting to change, you know, now that Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music and these places uh, have jazz programs. There's, I think, a little more intermingling with the students and a more respect, almost an institutional respect, mm. as to, you know, well, if it's at Juilliard, and it, it must, must be, be okay. important. Yeah, it must be okay. Well, it's interesting. I've had a number of classical musicians, classical pianists specifically, tell me that when they were coming up, their teachers told them not to play jazz. Right. As right. if it would actually be bad for harmful, them. Harmful, yes. But nobody's yeah. been able to tell me how it would be harmful. Yeah. No, you just have to speak both languages and say, look, this is a tone that some classical teachers will tell you is harsh and is not uh, correct for Chopin because in Chopin we're going for a beautiful singing legato long line. We're trying to emulate a, a, a vocalist or mm-hmm, a, a mm-hmm. violin. And in jazz, you've got Thelonious Monk who is not trying to emulate those kinds of sounds. He's trying to be dissonant and bluesy and percussive. And I think if you can really explain it, then people will start to say, oh, I see, there's something to it. You Equally have, valid, they're yes, just different. just different, right. Just a different way of looking at the musical landscape. Thelonious Monk, a favorite of my guest, pianist Ted Rosenthal, with Charlie Rouse, Larry Gales, and Ben Riley on a 1964 recording of Liza. I'm Judy Carmichael, 
And this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. For a discography of the music played on our show and a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest is pianist Ted Rosenthal. How did playing the trumpet all those years influence you? It had to with your playing, I would think, or do you not think so? It's been so long, frankly, that that part. But you were first trumpet. I I was expecting some deep insights. No, I literally uh, got by by the skin of my teeth. My chops were never that (laughs) good. By the skin skin of of my lips. Yeah. yeah. No, that's ancient history. Uh, but uh, but you enjoyed playing. No, I was just immersed in music. Mm -hmm. I was one of those high school kids that we went from you know show to concert to this to that you know there was always something musical going on right trumpet and piano was a big part of it talk about ted rosenthal plays the music of bud powell bill evans and beethoven i love that (laughs) well it's really uh, i've seen them play together a lot of concerts of the three of them (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it was basically again trying to um bring aspects of the music that can come together uh, the Beethoven I don't play uh, in the standard way. I improvise on the themes, something I continue to do. So it's somewhat along the lines of what I was describing before about having a uh, an open approach mm. to the music. So I play Beethoven uh, in somewhat of the manner that I was describing earlier about trying to make a little mini tune out of some of these themes. But in the solo piano approach, I actually do... Uh, become a little more free form and rhapsodic, maybe not quite uh, like Jackie Byers <laughs> completely, but uh, there is the opportunity without the rhythm section to kind of take flights of fancy as as I hear them. Uh, and then Bill Evans and Bud Powell are just two of my all, all-time favorites, so it was just a matter of uh, putting some music together on a CD that would all fit together nicely. What for you really speaks to you about Bill Evans in particular. I say this because he's such a favorite of mine. 
Yeah, the whole uh, harmonic uh, kind of pull, how one chord goes to the next and all the voice leading, it, it just all has such natural beauty. Mm. And the sound, uh, it's something I, you know, I can't imagine anyone would listen to it and not say, I don't want to be able to do that <laughs> if yeah. you're a pianist. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, and then, again, touching on the classical uh, elements, you know, there is the, the, the tone and, and the kind of the sound he gets out of the piano that's so beautiful as well so i love I, you talking about that because a lot of people don't think about tone with piano yeah they think yeah. it's a percussive instrument right talk about that with tone because i think that's something that a lot of people don't think about and we certainly know that each pianist has a very different tone yeah well you know i almost look at it like there's a whole host of things that we listen for as listeners as players as musicians of different kinds of music and sometimes it's almost a bit of a hierarchy as to what's important for mm. the kind of music you're playing. So what I was saying before is, uh, you know, if you're playing a monk tune, then you're going for a totally different kind of tone and voicings that accentuate the dissonance. And if you're playing Bill Evans or a ballad or Chopin Nocturne, for that matter, mm. then there's just a whole different approach that you want uh, the music to convey and the listener to hear. So, again, I think when students and or teachers kind of can, can see the whole landscape a little better, I think it, uh, it can make for a much more uh, kind of uh, world where we can all musically get along yeah. you know, and understand where we're coming from. Are your students at Juilliard and at Manhattan School of Music, are they interested in, how do I want to say this, do you find that your jazz students are more open to classical than your classical students being open to jazz? Is there Are they all sort of equally? Do you know what I'm asking? I know what you're asking. Yeah, well, the classical students I do end up seeing are the ones that are open to jazz, yes, and that's why they're I with me. I guess that would be right. So, uh, but, you know, the classical, uh, the jazz students, uh, I think it's valuable for them to get some of that training and just to get their ears to hear in a slightly different way for what we were talking about, about tone, balancing a chord, I've had them take a chord and try to bring out each different note in the chord a little louder than the other notes. And a few of them have looked at me like, I've never done anything like this in my life, you know, and they've had, you know, literally thousands of piano lessons under their belt. So there, there are, you know, interesting areas you can get into when you're studying another kind of music that, that can really open some doors. That is fascinating. Yeah. Get them really hearing it differently. Hearing a little differently, yeah, exactly. Like you say, they may have not paid any attention to the overall tone. Talk about Keith Jarrett. Well, you may have noticed from my website that I did a, a big interview with him. It's now, I think, getting on 10 years. Uh, but, you know, he was just a very inspiring guy to be around uh, both before I met him and uh, during the interview because I was fortunate enough to uh, be uh, armored with, you know, maybe 30 of his CDs uh, from, his, uh, from ECM, from his company, before I did the interview. And it was literally my first uh, journalistic endeavor uh, as far as doing an interview. 
I had written some sort of how-to articles, some piano arrangements, things like that. And the editor of the piano magazine, which unfortunately now is defunct, uh, said, yeah, would you like to do a, a cover story? Um, I tried interviewing McCoy Tyner, but it didn't go so well. I don't think I knew what to ask him. <laughs> so maybe if, if you would interview a jazz guy, um, maybe that would work better. And I said, okay. She said, well, who would you like to interview? And I said, I'd like to interview Keith Jarrett. <laughs> <laughs> so we made it happen. And uh, it's a very comprehensive, and I think it's kicking around the web uh, because I put it on my website and people occasionally comment on it. Did uh, you enjoy yourself? Uh, well, I was slightly terrified. <laughs> you know, he <laughs> has it. I like that. Slightly <laughs> terrified. Uh, he has the reputation of uh, occasionally even kicking the interviewers out. Um, I walked in, and the first thing I said to him, and it was truthful, was I spent the last two weeks listening, not that I haven't listened my whole life, musical life, but I spent the last two weeks immersing myself in your music, and I just found it so inspiring and just just an incredible experience. And he smiled, and he knew I was also a musician. I don't think he probably ever heard a note of my work, but you know, I, he... he I think he sensed it wasn't just sort of an empty right. kind of compliment. And uh, he seemed to really then be very open and generous with his time to the point that he invited me to stay for lunch. And I told my friends afterwards, I said, Keith Jarrett cleared, the pl cleared my plate for him. <laughs> 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 that kind of thing. <laughs> well, I think that, that people that are serious about the work, and I think you'd agree with me, that's what they want is a serious dialogue. And I don't mean serious meaning particularly lofty, but sincere. Sincere, yeah. Because people will ask me that. They'll say, oh, I really loved Ted Rosenthal. I want to go up and tell him I enjoyed the concert. What do I say? I say, tell him what you feel. Yeah, flattery goes a long way, yeah. <laughs> I have to say. But no, people will say, because yeah. I've had that with people I laugh about it. My joke is always they'll say, why did you play... Uh, you know, a G flat seven in the third measure of the blah, 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 you know, something like this. And I go, I don't know. I'd, be, I'd rather someone just said, you know, I really enjoyed that tune yeah. and not try to break it down or do some yeah, fancy. No, we've had uh, funny uh, conversations talking about uh, quote unquote compliments right. that, that people give you that, you know, you kind of can shake your head and say, was that really a compliment? Yes, exactly. You sound so much better than the last time I heard you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. Exactly, exactly. Your playing has really improved. Yes, yes. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. You didn't do that last time. Right. Yeah, see, well, you and I can write a manual on what yeah. the appropriate things are to say to somebody. Right, right, Keith Jarrett, a favorite of my guest, pianist Ted Rosenthal. Another favorite is Oscar Levant. Again, uh, we keep touching on this theme of uh, some jazz mixed in with classical. Um, I'm getting ready to perform Rhapsody in Blue uh, in two weeks with an orchestra out in New Jersey. It's called the Discovery Orchestra, formerly known as the Philharmonia of New Jersey. Uh, and... 
I've performed Rhapsody in Blue a number of times through the years, both the full orchestra version and that neat version I'm sure you know with the Paul Whiteman, the original. Uh, and so Gershwin somehow, in some ways, encapsulates a lot you know, of what we've been talking about, a lot of my musical background and thinking in terms of he was not an out-and-out jazz player, but he wrote all these tunes that we as jazz players play on and on and on, many of which I play on and on and on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And yet he wrote these concert pieces as well. And uh, a number of years ago, a friend of mine, uh, an excellent bass player, Dennis Irwin, turned me on to these books by Oscar Levant, which, if you haven't read them, are hysterically funny. Hard to find. You probably have to go to eBay. I know about his autobiography, The Memoirs of an Amnesiac. Exactly. Just the title alone. Yes, just the title. So I was literally, we were on the road in Europe, and I was literally laughing out loud at Oscar Levant's quips and little stories. I think one title was uh, something about my story and then subtitled, or the story of George Gershwin. Ah, <laughs> you know, he felt right. like he so lived in the shadow of, of Gershwin and was called upon, I think especially after Gershwin's early death, to play the Rhapsody forever, you know. And there was something like his mother said, again, the Rhapsody, you know. He couldn't even impress his mother.
I put that on because it's been a regular uh, part of my life performance and the whole Oscar Levant uh, dimension kind of brings a smile to my face. And I have to say, um, four years ago I got married and I have two, in addition to a great wife, two wonderful stepsons and music is a big part of all of our lives. And uh, the Rhapsody in Blue has completely captivated the boys. They are just... They can't get enough of it. And I think what happened was I was practicing it a couple of years ago for performance, and they literally learned every note, and they can walk over to the piano and play just about any passage from Rhapsody in Blue on the piano. Not, you know, every technical thing, but the, the, all, all the main thematic melodies they can do. And we have literally sat in our living room, I, I say this somewhat boastfully, uh, not watching any TV. There's no TV in sight there. And I will play Rhapsody in Blue. And what they like to do is have me intersperse. And this is something we do as jazz players is think of other melodies coming and other keys. So other melodies that they like, like the Pink Panther, we saw that movie, uh, the Toreador song they became. So I would literally come up to a big uh, kind of modulation in Rhapsody in Blue and then segue right into Toreador or segue Aww. into the Pink Panther. And we can literally sit there for hours and do this. Amuse yourself with <laughs> Amuse Rhapsody in Blue. Amuse ourselves with Rhapsody in Blue. So Rhapsody in Blue has taken on uh, a very uh, large part in my <laughs> in my musical and private life, too. That's so wonderful. Yeah, How old are your cute. boys? They're, well, now they're 8 and 10. Aww. We've been doing this for a couple of years now. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, so it's fun. So they're very musical, and uh, they get a sense, too, of sort of the improvisatory element of making something up in the moment, mm, of this kind mm -hmm. of witty... Yeah. aspect that we as jazz players and how uh, fun it is rather yeah. than it being anything threatening or threatening meaning you have to learn this or you have to learn something right. like that i think this is essential well, it's kind of the lighter side of it yeah. yeah i mean i like to be very serious at times but uh just to have a little fun and and, and you know like we'll play quotes as jazz players we mm -hmm. play one melody into another song and all these kinds of things. And they pick it up like sieves. It's a, or no, sieves is the other thing. <laughs> like sponges. <laughs> like sponges is how they pick it up.
coming into a family quite uh, suddenly into the whole scene of uh, you know school lunches and snacks and schedules and all all this kind of thing and even maybe more so at a younger age with the kids uh, this element of kind of improvisational thinking you mm. know is, became uh, kind of interesting to me because we want to think outside the box as jazz players and you know you could play it this way but I, you know I played it that way last night mm. is there another way I could play that and so much, you know, with, with the kids, you have to just on a dime switch directions. And, well, we did that yesterday. They want to do something else. Or yesterday they liked uh, cinnamon waffles. And today they don't like cinnamon waffles. And what are we going to think of different? Or uh, many aspects I think we as jazz players have as far as being quick on our feet. Mm. Uh, improvising, making something up in the moment. I think sense of humor, I mean, that's almost a cliche, but sense of humor has gone so far, and I think we as jazz players in general have very good senses of humor. I think so. (laughs) I think so. I have a great time with jazz musicians. In fact, I just talked to Dave Frischberg Uh on this show, and he felt that a big part of what inspired him to be a jazz musician is he just really liked jazz musicians. Oh, yeah. He wanted to hang out with jazz musicians. Well, I think it's anything from being able to tell a joke. You know, probably the original jazz players spent some of their time, you know, uh, being the warm-up act for a comedian or something, (laughs) or vice versa, being in that show business kind of thing. Right. And uh, being able to tell a joke or being able to just have a quick-witted comment because you know, something happened and you're on the road and God knows on the road, so many things happen. Absolutely. So uh, to have a good sense of humor and to be quick and boy, I find sitting around the dinner table or the breakfast table, it's amazing. I feel like there was another save, you know, <laughs> just, just a way to make them laugh, you know. Uh, uh, I there's, love there's a potential, that. a potential temp- temper tantrum about to hit, and you just say something funny, and boom, it's the cloud lifts. I love this because you realize what you've done by this, by this conversation, is that most people would say to their daughters, "Don't marry a jazz musician." Right, and right. you have now yes. illustrated oh. here that jazz musicians are actually the best parents. Right. I think. Well, I think many of those aspects of sense of humor. And creativity and thinking on the spur of the moment really can make up for the uh, economic issues. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you've <laughs> spoiled it now. I've been putting out this no, no, really no. good. Just, well, there's more to it. You know, there's more to life than just uh, the highest wage earner you can find for Absolutely. girls. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's really, it's it's amazing how well it works. And it's and, and they get it. You know, they're, they're quick-witted kids themselves. So, I love you saying this yeah. too, though, because I think to what you're illustrating is kids are all creative. Yes. And they can have that sort of taught out of them, as it were. Right, right. And you are very in touch with this, and and I and jazz musicians in general, as we're saying, we're all about spontaneous creativity. Right, and a playfulness. That's the essence of what we do. We're willing to make fools of ourselves. Yes, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Like you said, there's a save. We're all about the same. right, right. Putting it out there. Make that wrong note sound right. Exactly, exactly. I love you saying that because I do think that it's a, a great metaphor for a wonderful way to live. Yeah, I think it gives our family life a dimension that, frankly, not not all families have just mm. a certain creativity and 
uh, sort of an overlay of humor mm-hmm. and just, just kind of fun. We have little family jokes. Sometimes we're out and people look at us because we're all giggling about something and they're like, what's wrong with those people? <laughs> <laughs> they just want to be at your table. Yeah, exactly. They want to get in on what the What do party. they have that we don't have? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it can be tough, as we all know, with all the traveling and, and the uh, irregular schedules. But I think uh, there are many, many positive things about it. I think so, too. And I'm a huge fan. I'm so glad you could do this today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And, you know, when you initially told me the the premise of the show, I was inspired by the title, Jazz Inspired, because I think jazz has so much to inspire people. And not so much currently, I don't want to be a sourpuss, but I think historically it was relegated to, you know, jazz belongs in a smoky club or this and that, when there are all these jazz people and the music that deserves to be uh, so widely respected and has so much to offer Mm. once people just kind of flip the switch Mm -hmm. and realize that it does have all those things to offer. Well, we hope to open people to that a little bit more with this show. Yes, I'm sure you are. That's great. I know you are. Thank you so much, Ted. This was really fun. It was great. Good. Thank you. You've been listening to pianist Ted Rosenthal. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. The opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about what I'm doing in my music, visit judycarmichael.com. Special thanks to Tom Rickenback, Stephen Linda Plotnicki, and our webmaster, Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons and the American Hotel, Sag Harbor, New York. Visit online at theamericanhotel.com. Thanks, too, to Sag Harbor Florists. You can visit them at sagharborfloristandgifts.com.